it's wonderful that we can come together and it's wonderful that we can be and it's wonderful that we can have a sense of unity. And I'll tell you what's also wonderful for those of us who are here this evening, that we can be here together. Though it is also lovely that we can join people on Facebook and all the rest of it. And it's a marvel how in the last 20 years or so, the whole world has just changed. The whole world of Wi-Fi, mobile technology, mobile phones, what mobile phones can do, and well, everything else, and how our life now revolves around technology and the use of technology. And to kind of sum up by my own head this week, this great shift that there seems to have been in history over the last few years, the last 20 years or so, I was thinking to perhaps when I was about 23, 24 or so, and there used to be a social media platform called Friends Reunited. Yes, you know about Hannah B, don't you? Well, Friends Reunited was pretty much the first significant social media platform. And for all you crazy kids who might think I'm speaking gibberish at the moment, Friends Reunited was an opportunity for people to join a group online of people who they were in school with, people who were in their class with. And the idea was that they would link in with old friends, catch up with friends who they'd left behind in school, and really, you know, hope, support, and encourage each other as we continue on the journey of life. In reality, what it was was an opportunity to settle old scores, bear grudges, and cause a great deal of grief. But the world of social media was very much upon us. Shortly after that came a little platform called MySpace. I had a MySpace account, and I'm sure some of you of a certain vintage had one as well. And MySpace was a very popular social media site as well. And then came the big one, Facebook. The mid-2000s, Facebook came and everyone jumped on. And I knew that this was a really big phenomenon when I got a friend request from my mom and my dad. <laughs> That's when you knew that something big had really, really happened. Love you, ma'am. You know, you knew that these things were huge. But it's a really funny thing that if we didn't have Friends Reunited, if we didn't have MySpace, the chances are that we wouldn't have the phenomenon that is Facebook, and now one of the world's largest companies, Meta. Indeed, most of us who connect on social media probably wouldn't if it wasn't for those who came first. And it seems to be a bit of a fact of life, a bit of way of life, and whether that's in entertainment, in industry, in music, that those who come first, the real pioneers, if you will, aren't always the ones to take the credit. If I was to ask you all who's the biggest music group in history, it's likely the most you will say, the Beatles. However, music didn't begin with the Beatles. Guitar music didn't begin with the Beatles. Chuck Berry had something to say before it, but the Beatles came. However, if it wasn't for the likes of Chuck Berry, you wouldn't have the Beatles. And in this exact same way, if it wasn't for the person who is at the centre of our reading this evening, we wouldn't have fully appreciated the value of Jesus. 
This year, we are looking at Luke in our evening service. We're taking a tour de force through the gospel account of Luke. And this week, we're taking a bit of a detour, it would seem, taking our eyes briefly away from Jesus before we look at him again next week and think about his baptism and looking at the guy who went before him, his big cousin, John the Baptist. When we think about John the Baptist, perhaps the big question that we may have is why? Why did God need to send John the Baptist? After all, he was sending his son. And with all due respect to Mark Zuckerberg, with all due respect to Paul McCartney, the Messiah is a bigger deal than any of them. Surely God didn't need to send a precursor, somebody to go ahead. Surely the Messiah coming would be enough. Why did God need to send us John the Baptist? Why did John the Baptist need to come at all? It's worth stopping at this point and realizing just how much of a big deal John the Baptist was, how much of a significant dude that he was as well. He features in all the four gospel accounts, and Luke himself is very much a historian. He takes historical process while applying to the Gospels. He really takes an overarching view and looks at the facts of what's going on. And John the Baptist needed to be recorded in his account because he was such a historical figure. John the Baptist was big in his lifetime. He was a draw. He was a card. He was worth coming out to see talk. He was big. He was so big that in fact he isn't just written about in the Gospels. Other historians at the time, Josephus for example, spend a lot of time writing about John the Baptist and the amazing things that he said and the teachings that he gave. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the 1940s, they also went into detail talking about John the Baptist. All the evidence pointing to this isn't just an important guy in the kingdom of God. This is an important guy in human history and a guy to be taken very seriously. Why did God need to send him? Well, to start off with, because he promised to send him. John the Baptist was prophesied. John the Baptist was spoken about by the Old Testament prophets John the Baptist, we were told, the people of Israel were told, would come to prepare the way of the Lord. The prophet Isaiah spoke about him as one coming from the wilderness. John the Baptist came from the wilderness. He came, he had a unique dress sense, he had a unique diet, and he came from the wilderness to proclaim the kingdom of God. It is likely that he was part of an order that lived in a rural part of Israel, lived in the wilderness, a place where they practiced washing and ceremonial washing, a place where they dedicated themselves to God. And it was from that place that he came to proclaim the message that he had to proclaim. 
John the Baptist came because God promised he would come. But more importantly, he came because he had an important message to share. Israel was in a mess. They were all over the show. They were being occupied by the Romans and the people were looking here, there and everywhere for a saviour. They were looking and working out their own identity. And in that working out, they were taking the eyes of God. Somebody needed to come and bring their hearts back to God. And that was the job of John the Baptist. He came to remind them that they were God's chosen people. He came to remind them that they were blessed to be a blessing. And he came to remind them of the calling that God had placed upon them. John the Baptist came to bless the people and make their hearts ready to see the Messiah. And without any compromise, he proclaimed what we would now regard as the gospel message to them. He used the image of a winnowing fork. I'm no agriculturalist, but I'm told that a winnowing fork is something that will sort out wheat from chaff. Wheat that will be used for good things, chaff that will be used to be burnt. He told them to repent of their sins, taking seriously the fact that they had wandered away from God. And he told them that don't just repent, change your life as well. He was speaking to a large number of people who would happily say, yeah, I'm a Jew, I'm a follower of God, I'm doing all right, but actually needed to be better. He was speaking to tax collectors who were ripping people off. He was speaking to soldiers who were ripping people off and hurting people. And he was telling them not to change their job, but to do their job in the way that God would want them to do to act with justice, to act with sincerity, to not put anybody down, but to build people up. He wanted people's hearts to be in the right place. And as part of that, he was willing to baptise people. Now in the Old Testament context, baptism was something that somebody would go through if they wanted to be part of Israel, if they wanted, I guess, to convert to be a Jew. Before they could become a Jew, they had to be baptised, ceremonial clean. What John was doing was saying to the people of Israel, come back to God, be clean, be the Israel who God calls you to be. Be clean, be ready, and be willing to see his Messiah come. He was giving them a kick and a laugh. And they needed a kick and a laugh to get into shape to recognize who Jesus was. And I think there's something in this message for where we are now. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say for a lot of us that we have wandered away from God. We might believe in God, but We don't live out the power of God necessarily. I think it's true for our world, certainly. You see injustice everywhere. I think it's true of our nation, certainly. Again, you see injustice, you see corruption everywhere. 
And I think it's kind of true of the church of God as well. You see horrific things everywhere. If John the Baptist was with us today, I'm pretty sure John the Baptist would be saying, sort yourselves out, is it boys and girls? Do you know what's going on? Do you know that the Messiah is coming? John would preach the message of repentance and say, bring it back to where you need to be. And this is a message that the world needs to hear today. This message of John the Baptist, not just about the salvation that comes through Jesus, but what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to commit to being a disciple, what it means to walk in his ways, what it means to not just make a decision to say, yep, I'm going to respond to an altar call. I'm a Christian now, brilliant. Now I can crack on and do what I want to do, but to live the life. Because we're not just called to be repenters, we are called to be disciples. Jesus didn't say, go and make new Christians. He said, go and make disciples. We are called to be disciples, and we are called to go out and make disciples. That is what John the Baptist was saying to the people of Israel. And maybe, just maybe, that's what John the Baptist is saying to the church through these words today. Because these words are just as applicable. These words are just as true for us. These words of repentance and living a life worthy of Christ, a life of justice and honor and truth and holiness are just as right. John the Baptist preached this message and this message is relevant for us. It was relevant for Israel and it is relevant for us as well. Tonight, God is calling us back. God is calling us back into the fold. If we've been strayed from there, God has called us back into his kingdom. If we feel like we've wandered off, God is calling us back into that body. If we think, oh, I'm not good enough, God is saying, you're forgiven, you're good enough, come back. If we're feeling like we're separate, if we're feeling tonight that this isn't for us, God is saying, it's for you. Come, be part of the family, be part of the kingdom of God. And the good news is, repentance costs nothing. All you need to do to be a disciple, all you need to do to be a follower, is to acknowledge your own fault, say sorry to God, and then you are forgiven. Tonight when Liz prayed the prayer of confession, if you meant it in your heart, and you said amen, you are forgiven. There is no record of that in heaven. It isn't held against you. You are set free. It is gone. Whatever it is you've done, it doesn't matter what it is you have done. It is not held before you. God doesn't hold it before you. You are forgiven. If you respond to that call like people did, like John the Baptist call, you are forgiven. You are set free. You are on the path of discipleship.
That is the message that John the Baptist preached 2,000 years ago, which was relevant 2,000 years ago. And that is the message that he preaches today that is still as relevant today. The word of God is living. It is said today. And it is true today. But really, above it all, John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Messiah. He came to prepare the way for Jesus. The reason why he preached the message of repentance, the reason why he preached the message of come and be a follower, is so that when Jesus would come, which he would do shortly, people would say, yes, that's him. Their hearts would be aligned and in the right place to recognize him and say, yes, I want to follow him. Yes, he is the Messiah. And for this reason, John the Baptist is, for me, a great hero of the Bible. We talk about heroes quite a lot, who our heroes are in the real world, and maybe who our heroes are in the Bible. For me, John the Baptist is a hero because I'm not sure I could have done what he done. And I'll tell you for why. I like attention. (laughs) I like to be liked. I like all the trappings that go with all of that. I'm a human being who likes it. And sometimes my hair can grow a bit big and all the rest of it. John the Baptist had all the attention. John the Baptist was the one who the historians were talking about. John the Baptist was the one who Josephus was writing about. John the Baptist is the one whose names are written on the Dead Sea Scrolls. John the Baptist was a massive, massive deal. John the Baptist was Mark Zuckerberg and Paul McCartney all rolled into one. John the Baptist had it all going on. But when he saw Jesus coming, he said, over to you. He had the humility to say, it's not about me, it's about you. And in that way, he truly prepared the way of the Lord to come. And that is our calling as well. We can try and be like Jesus. I will always screw up. It should never stop us and prevent us from trying but we'll always screw up sometimes we need to try and be a bit like John the Baptist as well preach the word tell people about the Messiah and prepare the way for the Messiah to come into people's lives preach the message of repentance preach the message of discipleship preach the message of justice and then watch as Jesus does the rest. So often we make stuff about us. So often we make worship about us. So often we make church about us. So often we make what goes on about our own identity. So often we are like the versions of my friends and friends who are united who want to settle the scores because it's about us and now having the freedom to do those things and say the things that We want to say because it's how we feel. But what we do here tonight isn't about us. What we've come here tonight for 
isn't about us. How we live our lives isn't about us. It is about serving the Messiah. It is about acknowledging the Messiah. It is about pointing to the Messiah. And it was for wanting of others to come and know the Messiah as well. John the Baptist had the complete humility to realize it wasn't about him. It was about the Messiah. And that for us is perhaps the biggest challenge of it all. Accepting that it's not about us. It's about the Messiah. And it's a really simple thing to say. It's a really basic thing to say. But when we need to make a decision, when we need to make a decision for ourselves, when we need to make a decision for our church, our question shouldn't be, how does this affect me? Our question should always be, how does this glorify God? Our question should always be, how does this point towards Jesus? Our question should always be, how does this make other people see Jesus? Our question should always be, how will this bring people into the kingdom of God? Our job is to be John the Baptist in this world. We can preach it, we can do it, but God does the rest. It is about the Lord and not about us. And in this season to come, and in these years to come, I think it's fair to say that us as a church, both here and universally, will have a lot of discussions that we need to have. There'll be a lot of, sometimes, arguments we need to have, a lot of discerning that we need to do, a lot of things that we need to work out. The biggest thing that we need to ask in it all is, what does Jesus want? How does this point to Jesus and let go of those things for ourselves? For John the Baptist, the easiest thing he could have done is say, all right, there's the Messiah. Never mind, boys and girls, listen to me. I'm going to tell you a good story. Because he had the audience in the palm of his hands, but he pointed to Jesus. And our job is to do exactly the same. Today, the Lord is calling us to be John the Baptist where we are. Here in church, at home, in the places where we work, the places where we socialise, in school, in the supermarket, wherever we go, to point the way of the Lord. And that is a far bigger sacrifice than words can say because it really means sacrificing what we want as well. And there is one thing that we need to make it happen and it's the one thing that John the Baptist had and that's God's Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to finish now and I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God would come upon us Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks to you for the life and the witness of John the Baptist. We give thanks to you that he is an important figure in history. We give thanks that he was a pioneer who went first. 
we give thanks for the amazing message that he had to preach. And we give thanks that through the power of your spirit, people were willing to hear, people were willing to listen, and people responded. We give thanks that people were baptised to acknowledge their fault, to come again into the kingdom and the promises of the kingdom. And this evening, Lord, if we haven't done so, we just take opportunity to repent ourselves. Maybe where we feel that we've gone astray slightly, maybe where we feel that we haven't been living the life, we take the opportunity to return now for our hearts to be washed in that ceremonial washing, to be reminded of our own baptism where we need to be reminded to be made clean. And if you're here this evening, especially you're thinking, I'm beyond reproach, I just want to say you're not. You're not beyond it. And the Lord wants to welcome you into his kingdom. Lord, we give thanks for the power of forgiveness that comes in your name. And we pray, Lord, that we would not be scared to proclaim who you are with our words and with our actions. Lord, we pray that we would not just be believers, but we would be disciples. We would live the life of holiness that you call us to live for. And where we fall short, you'd pick us up again. And we pray, Lord, that we would be a witness to the world as John the Baptist was a witness to the world. And we pray that we would prepare the way of the Lord. And we pray that the Lord would move now. We pray that the Lord would move in this church. We pray that the Lord would move in this community. We pray that the Lord would move in the universal church throughout this town in all denominations. We pray that the Lord would move on the streets. We pray that the Lord would be felt in places where people work, go to school, where people socialize, shop, where people live their lives. Wherever there is people, the Lord's presence would be felt. We pray that more and more hearts would be transformed and more people would come into the kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that we would be used and we would realize that you want to use us in the building of your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, for the humility where we need it to say, it's about you and not me. And we would be willing to sacrifice all the things of us that we hold on to that are not of you. And whether it is our opinions, whether it's things to do with our identity, whether it's who we are, whether it's our job title, whatever it is, Lord, we would sacrifice those things for the good of your kingdom, for the growing of your kingdom and to point the way to you. And Lord, we pray an acknowledgement that we can't do these things in our own strength, 
but we need the power of your spirit. And so we pray now that you would fill us afresh with your spirit now. And where we certainly need it, fill it afresh now. May we feel your presence upon us now. And make us willing to do the work that you call us to do. May we be inspired by John the Baptist. May we prepare the way of the Lord. And may hearts and lives turn to you. We pray now in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.